Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. everyone. I'm very excited to have a special guest on today's episode. Today, Dr. Mun-Yi Kwan is here. Dr. Kwan is an assistant professor of clinical psychology who does really fascinating research on interpersonal and emotional factors related to eating disorders. How are you doing today, Mun-Yi? I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. So, I thought I'd start out just by asking about your personal story of how you got into clinical psychology and the specific research areas that you focus on. Sure. Um, it's a little embarrassing, actually. Um, as, as a child, I was quite fascinated by um, TV shows and, and some characters, uh, those who wear white lab coats and they work with mental health. So by now, I, I know that they were probably portraying psychiatrists, but that's how I developed an interest to work with um, the human minds and behaviors and really to help people, um, as uh, cliche as it sounds, but that's really how I developed my interest. Oh, okay. Well, that that's really interesting. So you watched TV shows and thought, that's something I'm interested in. There's nothing to be embarrassed about on this podcast <laughs> where we talk a lot about TV shows and right. and wanting to help people. How did you specifically get into eating disorders? I, I did have uh, some friends um, when I was a teenager who struggled with eating disorders. And um, I'll be honest, also, I think uh, when I was a, a teenager, I had some uh, body image concerns as well. And that really just inspired me to want to uh, work in this area so that I can be helpful to other people and potentially uh, develop new strategies or treatments to help people who are struggling with issues like eating disorders and body image concerns. Well, I'm very glad you decided to work in eating disorders, and I could have mentioned this at the beginning, but the way that we know each other is that Dr. Kwan is a former graduate student of mine who worked in my lab, and so we got to work on a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to collaborate quite a bit, and, and I really enjoyed that very much. And do you mind telling us just a little bit about your educational pathway kind of leading up to North Dakota State University? Sure. Uh, so I was born and raised in Malaysia, and I went to school. Uh, so my elementary to high school, I finished in Malaysia. And as soon as I graduated from high school, my parents asked me, "Well, what do you want to do, and you know, where do you want to um, continue uh, school at?" Immediately, I said, "Well, I want to become a psychologist." So at the time, there was one particular private school in Malaysia that had a very good uh, psychology program for undergraduates. So I went to that school um, for about three years, and then I transferred to the United States to uh, Bemidji State University in Bemidji, Minnesota, um, finished up my undergraduate uh, degree, um, and I stayed there for my master's program. 
And then I went to uh, the next state in Fargo, North Dakota, to、uh, do my PhD. And I'm glad that you did that. Yes. And now you're in Texas. And so, what kind of what does your job kind of consist of now? Um, so right now,、uh, as an assistant professor,、um, I teach both undergraduate and、uh, graduate classes. I have a few、uh, graduate students.、Um, they are working on their thesis with me,、um, and I also recently started、uh, mentoring and supervising undergraduate students for the、uh, Magnier Scholars Program. So we are doing independent research with them also. Um, on top of that, because I'm am、um, trying to pursue my、um, license as a clinical psychologist in Texas, I'm also working at、uh, the student counseling center, and I see patients there one like one day a week. Okay, great. Thanks for describing that. And so, between the teaching and the clinical work and supervising research, you've also continued to do very interesting research. That looks at interpersonal variables and how they relate to eating disorders. So I was wondering if you could please give some examples of how eating disorders and interpersonal functioning are connected, because I think that sometimes when we're when people are talking about eating disorders, I think that many people think about genetic or biological contributions to eating disorders. Or they think about sociocultural factors like valuing thinness, but sometimes interpersonal functioning gets left out of the picture. So, what are some examples of those types of factors as related to eating disorders? Sure,、um, we do have some good evidence、uh, to suggest that impaired interpersonal functioning、uh, both predict and maintain eating disorders.、Um, we also have evidence. That demonstrates that individuals who are recovering from eating disorders who are already in remission, they continue to struggle with their interpersonal functioning,、um, and these、uh, findings suggest to us that there is a bi-directional relationship between interpersonal functioning and eating disorders. So, so some of the、uh, interpersonal variables that I've examined,、uh, there are social support,、um, social distress,、uh, and a very in- interesting construct called excessive reassurance or negative feedback seeking. For people who aren't familiar with those, would you mind breaking those down a little bit? So, for example, how is social support typically defined when you're looking at it in this context? So, for example, in social support, we can think about it in terms of、uh, both the quality and the quantity of social support. For example, I would ask my participants、uh, the number of、uh, social re- relationships that they have, how often or how frequent they engage in that kind of interactions, and have them describe、um, how satisfied they are uh, with uh, their social relationships. Okay, and what about the other the other factors that you mentioned, like excessive reassurance seeking? Would you mind defining those for people who aren't familiar? Yes, of course. So excessive uh, feedback, uh, uh, sorry, excessive reassurance seeking、um, refers to the tendency of a person to excessively seek for assurance,、um, and and this construct was actually first introduced. Within the interpersonal theory of depression, the idea is that、um, individuals struggling with certain psychopathology 
like depression or eating disorders, these individuals have a tendency to constantly question the sincerity of other people and they repeatedly seek for reassurance. And you can imagine if a person um, repeatedly asks for reassurance over time, it kind of drives people away and result in rejections. Um, negative feedback seeking is a slightly different construct, but it is very similar. But with negative feedback seeking, uh, instead of just looking for reassurance, broadly speaking, these individuals seek out for uh, specifically negative feedback. So they may ask the questions like, um, honey, I look fat in this dress, don't I? So they frame the, the question in the negative um, direction. Okay, so one thing that I think listeners might wonder is why people who are struggling with eating disorders, why they might do things like negative feedback seek or do excessive reassurance seeking. So what, what kind of drives those behaviors, do you think? I think one of the reasons is probably not surprisingly, these individuals do struggle with um, negative self-esteem and low self-confidence. So that may be one of the reasons why they feel like there's a need to constantly look for external um, validation um, to validate how they feel about themselves. I'm, I'm thinking about an, another possible factor. It, it's sort of like along the line of uh, confirmation bias. I, so when people think something and they kind of look for information that's consistent with what they already believe in this case about themselves. Right, right. So that can possibly be more applicable to uh, negative feedback seeking um, because they view themselves negatively. So they constantly look for um, negative feedback. So you've done a lot of different research looking at these interpersonal variables and eating disorders. What have been some of the main findings that in your research? The majority of my research findings support uh, the negative relationship between interpersonal functioning and eating disorders. Um, so for example, one of my studies demonstrated that um, the lack of social support was associated with higher stress, which then uh, lead to greater bulimic symptoms. Um, I have also another study that shows that individuals who struggle with bulimic symptoms over time, if they engage in excessive reassurance seeking, it will lead to an increase in social distress. So they have a lot more like conflicts in their social relationships. Something that's kind of connected to the interpersonal aspects, at least I can see some overlap, is there, there seem to be some emotional aspects related to what drives eating disorders too. What are some of the findings that your research has added to this area? Emotional processes in um, eating disorders is actually a relatively new interest of mine that I just developed quite recently. In the current existing literature, uh, there are quite some evidence that shows that there are deficits in emotion regulation, emotion recognition, and attentional bias in negative emotions among individuals uh, who struggle with eating disorders. Um, I've done maybe like one or two studies uh, that look at these variables, um, so the emotional variables in relation to eating disorders. My uh, preliminary results suggest that bulimic symptoms, they are associated with greater difficulties in regulating emotions, uh, more difficulties in recognizing emotions in other people. And because this is a relatively new interest of 
mine, I do have plan to uh, continue in this uh, research area. Um, and I think some of my next steps is really to look at whether or not this, this deficit in emotional processes, whether or not that would help us explain the interpersonal deficits in eating disorders. Okay. Could you say a little bit more about that, that, that about how, how, like, how you would imagine that play, playing out, maybe giving a, an example of how that, how that would work? Sure. So um, I, I have some uh, hypotheses that um, it is possible that there is some sort of uh, genetic vulnerabilities in um, a person's ability to, say, regulate emotions or process emotions. And this difficulty uh, potentially could contribute to eating disorders. And sometimes, even though not all the time, sometimes individuals uh, with eating disorders use disorder eating as one of their coping strategies. So because of their inability to regulate emotions, some individuals engage, for, for example, binge eating to regulate their emotions to help them cope with stress. And my prediction is that um, if that happened, um, that will further lead to more uh, interpersonal difficulties because they're not really addressing the root of the problem. I see what you're saying. So you can kind of see how you've got these two areas where there are clear risk factors and also it seems like consequences. So if you look at people after they've had an eating disorder, where you see emotional functioning is worsened and interpersonal functioning is worsened. And you're interested in kind of bringing that together and see how they interact. Right, exactly. And I think you, you uh, really mentioned that key word here is that the, it is bidirectional. I think interpersonal factors can serve as a um, risk factor, but it can also be a, a consequence of eating disorders. In light of that, what what can people do clinically to help those areas? Are there certain types of things people do in therapy to address specifically emotional and interpersonal variables with eating disorders? Yes, I, I think, so for example, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is an evidence-based treatment for uh, bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorders. And within cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, a therapist or a clinician could work with a patient to develop their emotion uh, regulation skills. There's also another therapy that I'm quite fond of is uh, dialectical behavioral therapy which has been shown to be effective with bulimia nervosa as well. And within the dialectical behavioral therapy, there is a module called emotion regulation. So it is specifically um, targeting and, and help individuals reduce the vulnerability to experiencing negative emotions and help them increase their experiences of positive emotions. Well, thanks so much for explaining that. I want to mention that you recently won an award, the 2018 Best Paper by an Early Career Scholar from the International Journal of Eating Disorders. And that's a big deal. That's, that's the main journal within eating disorders. And you won that award for your article, Warning Labels on Fashion Images, Short and Longer Term Effects on Body Dissatisfaction, Eating Disorder Symptoms, and eating behavior. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Secondly, what did you find in that paper? 
I just want to uh, first say that um, this is a collaborative project with my co-authors, and really without them, um, the project, the paper, the award wouldn't have happened. So I just really want to thank them. Um, so back to the paper. Um, for this particular project, me and my co-authors, we were interested in learning the impact of viewing fashion warning labels on advertisement. So for those individuals who are not familiar with fashion warning labels, uh, there's currently a trend in many countries, not the United States, but like for uh, Britain, Australia, France, uh, they have a current trend of using fashion warning labels on Photoshop or digitally altered uh, photographs. And that warning label would contain a statement along the line of, this picture has been digitally altered and it is not a realistic representation of the female body. Um, so this is a similar idea or strategy as a warning label for cigarettes and, and alcohol, right, that we are very familiar with. Uh, the, the, the concern here is with regard to fashion warning labels specifically, there isn't a lot of research or evidence to support its effectiveness. So we did this research to look at fashion warning label to see what kind of impact it would have on individuals. And our uh, main finding is that these warning labels, they have no short-term or long-term protective effect on a person's affect, a person's level of body dissatisfaction, and it also doesn't affect how much they, they consume immediately after viewing those warning labels. I think what's interesting about what we found was that not only did the warning label not have protective effects, we actually found that viewing these warning labels might actually increase the risk of developing disorder eating. So really, the implications here is that we, we really ought to examine and have empirical evidence about certain strategy uh, before we implement them. So were you surprised by the findings going into that? Because it seems like such a sensible thing, right? That if you label this, that should help people out. And it seemed like a nice solution that has a lot of intuitive appeal and yet didn't seem to be effective. Is that contrary to what you predicted? I would say that I was uh, both surprised and not surprised because like you said, it is intuitive to to think that if we watch, if we, if we see something that warns us about its uh, negative consequences, uh, it should be helpful. But I also wasn't too surprised because when we were working on this project, at that time there were currently uh, there were about six studies that were published that look into the effect of warning labels, and. Uh, the majority of those six actually found no effect. So I wasn't too surprised that it didn't have protective effect, but the fact that it might actually be harmful was kind of surprising. And me and my co-authors delved deeper into the literature and found that it is possible, like one possible explanation is that when you have a warning label, it actually increased a person attention to the picture so instead of just you know browsing the magazine you're flipping the pages you saw these unrealistic images you actually spend more time 
trying to examine or analyze the body of uh, the person, and it highlight it heightened the discrepancy between what you want. Versus what you have. Oh, interesting. So the idea is basically it increases attention where they might not. It's it's doing the opposite of what you want. So you kind of for it to work, you'd have to assume they're they have attention and then on it, and then they get the warning label, and then their comparisons they're not comparing themselves as much. But here, what you're speculating might be the thing is that it, they're actually spending more time comparing themselves because now they're being drawn by this written statement. Yes, exactly. Well, that kind of work is just incredibly important and speaks to why science is just incredibly valuable for evaluating whether interventions work and also to make sure that they don't harm people because it just goes to show that things that seem like you said would at at worst not work but kind of be benign and have no effect can actually have a negative association. So that's really important work, and I'm glad that that was recognized. I feel like, like you said, this line of research is is really important. I think, um, you know, we, we do have a lot of policy regarding different different things, and it's important really for us to find evidence to support the effectiveness of the policy that we are trying to implement. That's right, because if we have resources towards trying to improve body image, we, we certainly would want to channel what resources there are towards something that's mm-hmm. effective. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Kwan. Do you have any take-home messages for our listeners about eating disorders? I think I would like the listeners to know that eating disorders are very common. And like Katie has alluded to it earlier, um, a big part of it is, um, you know, social cultural factors. And that is connected to the work that I'm doing right now, which is like um, seeing unrealistic Photoshop pictures, right? So for example, the pressure to be thin and, and the unrealistic expectation that the society has on how men and women should look. So I just want to let the, the listeners know that it is a very common problem. But the good news is, is that eating disorders are very treatable and we have very good treatments that are empirically based. So I would like to encourage those who might be struggling with an eating disorder or any sort of body image concerns to seek help for it because they are very treatable. I think that's a wonderful take-home message. And Thank you again for sharing all of your exciting research with us, and I certainly look forward to seeing the next steps and where they're carried out. And you've already contributed to the literature quite a bit at an early career stage, and so I'm excited to see what's next. Yes, thank you, Katie, and thank you for this opportunity for me to share some of my uh, work on your podcast. Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council Podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council Podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.